0: Hello everyone, Splinter from the Department of Institutional Memory here. Keeper and I got to spend a lovely afternoon with Harley K. Dubois, the Chief Transition Officer of Burning Man, a co-founder of BlackRock LLC, an all-around awesome lady, and somebody who has been with the Rangers, in charge of the Rangers for a really long time. Very, very long time, especially in the beginning. There's a lot to learn from her, so many topics covered, so many laughs, so many good stories so many good memories because that's what we peddle here at the Department of Institutional Memory, people's memories. It's not always history, but it is a memory. Let's get right to it. Welcome back to Radio, Radio Check, a podcast by the Department of Institutional Memory. Hi, Harley. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. Your
1: place looks lovely. Oh, thank you. Hi, Harley. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Just started summer vacation. It's going pretty great. How about you? Awesome. Part of had years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like an amazing beginning to everybody's work at home process. Is work extra hard for whatever reason. So much to deal with on top of everything else.
0: Oh. So we can talk about fun things now. I just want to do a little bit of the history of Harley. As far as I found out doing research this long about <laughs> your world of Burning Man, you uh, met Larry Harvey in 87 or 88. Mm-hmm. Harley Dubois went to her first Burning Man in 1991, and by 1996, it helped coordinate five Burning Mans, culminating in the 1996 Mayhem uh, event that was uh, Dante's Inferno, which an audience at one point didn't know, but (laughs) we know. So 96 (laughs) was very difficult at the end of 96, and this is where I want to start my questions. Harley had a discussion with John Law about this was too much and let's not do this again. Oh yeah. And I've heard about this from from Jennifer, Jen Holmes, told me about this and I heard about it from a number of other people who are like the old schoolers who were like, Burning Man should stop. And a lot of their reasoning was all the energy that goes into Burning Man could go to other things. Different story. But my question to you is, in 87 or 88, were you in the same c- circles as Larry? Or is it, were you part of the...
2: I was part of the Cacophony Society.
0: So you guys were all hanging out doing art events.
2: I, um, I actually was in psychic school in like 86. And I met this guy who said, you're hanging out with the wrong people. You need to move to San Francisco. And I started dating him. And I moved into this crazy household, 1907 Golden Gate Avenue, where I met all these artists and hipsters and the Cacophony Society. Essentially, that household had, I guess, about eight of us living in it and about 30 people with keys. And after after every event was over from the Cacophony Society, they'd all gather at our house. So you might go to bed at 10 and wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and have some crazy-ass party going on in your house. That happened regularly. Um, so, Michael came to Burning Man on the beach, and I think next year he brought John, and then Larry solicited them to get it into the Rough Draft newsletter. You got something in the mail when you're a member, right? And I was there when they met. Um, I was already, I met John first, I met Michael, Michael second, and I was there when Larry was hanging out with them. Um, I went to bed, seems not very interesting to me. I, I actually <laughs> Sorry. I didn't think Burning Man was nearly as cool as all the other stuff. I didn't go because who wants to watch a man burn on the beach when you could be doing a sewer walk or you could be climbing the, the Bay Bridge, which I did, both of those things. Wow. So it kind of paled in comparison, but I knew everyone was gonna end up at the house, so I prepared the after party in 1989.
0: Uh-huh, the after party <laughs> yeah. from, from Burning Man?
2: <laughs> yeah, from Baker Beach. They all showed up at our house afterwards. <laughs> the first decompression. <laughs> That's Miss P says. It was Miss P's household and I was with, you know, living in her household and she taught me how to cook. I learned how to cook because of the coffee and because of Burning Man. Um, Yeah, and and I learned how to bartend and all that stuff living in 1907 Golden Gate Avenue.
0: So you saw how those events worked and you saw how people took care of themselves and how the crew rolled together and in a way that's in my mind the beginning of rangering. Because there wasn't rangers, it was just everyone knew each other, and if there was something going on, you knew to talk to John or Jen or Vanessa or you or who, you know, whoever was around doing the event or when you were climbing the bridge, you know the person who probably did it once or who you would all trust, right? right. That was community. Your community of people taking care of each other, which I think is where the Rangers came out. That's a
2: different way to think about
0: it. So from your view, because Jen and Vanessa and Vicky and John, they were the Ranger team. When you went in 91, did you see them operating differently from the Cacophony Society events?
2: Um, no, I think that those roles just translated and morphed as everything does when it goes to the desert, but they were pretty much doing the same sorts of things. As was said in, in Angel's podcast, the early days, it was Michael Michael really doing search and rescue and a few other people doing search and rescue. And way back then, back in 1992 was the first year and it was, they had a t-shirt that had the logo and it said Black Rock Rangers on it. And even back then, it was not cool if you weren't a ranger to have that t-shirt. And this guy named Joe slipped me a t-shirt and so I had one. And somebody called me out on it at a party later that year and they said, where did you get that t-shirt? <laughs> and I said, Joe gave it to me. And they assumed it was Joe Fenton Bogman and it was this guy named Little Joe who only came for two years. He was just this little sweet little kid and he never came back. And so he never got in trouble for it, but I never called Bogman out. So everyone thought Bogman gave, I just found the t-shirt the other day in my box downstairs. I still have it. That's So, crazy. Uh, <laughs> so
0: your first Ranger experiences was as a poser.
2: <laughs> I, never wore, I never wore it at the event. I only wore it outside of the event, back in San Francisco. <laughs> to look <cool. laughs> even worse. <laughs> Even worse, Harley. <laughs> you no, know, my, first, my first rangering event was in 96. I was one of those people that got deputized. I got deputized at this particular moment. Everything was ro- running off the rails, and there weren't enough rangers to do anything. And I, um, my role was kind of weird. I was the one just keeping track of everybody and making sure Central Camp was okay and sort of connecting dots, which is actually still my role to this day, so it's <laughs> not that weird. But it didn't have a name and it wasn't that specific. But I got this radio call saying, we need a ranger to show up on scene at one of the artists' camp because some bad shit's gonna go down. Would you mind walking over there? So I walked over there and I walked in and there was this pickup truck that had pulled in like right into the middle of this artist camp. And the artists were just people we all know today. There they're just was back then. It was, you know, Mark Krez and Steve Coe and Jim Mason and I don't know who else, but people that had just kind of grew up with the organization. This pickup truck's right in the middle of it. These two guys, young strapping big guys with Lee jeans and and big boots on, and gun racks in the back of their pickup truck are drunk and they get out of their pickup truck and the grill is all smashed in. They're like, we wanna kick some ass. Who put metal, pieces of metal out in the playa without any lighting on them? We ran into those as we were bombing down the playa and look what it did to my truck. We're gonna kill that guy. And I happen to know that that's Jim Mason's artwork that he put out there. There's these metal trees, and he hadn't put any light on oh, them. Boy. And I actually, out of the corner of my eye, saw Jim Mason slipping out of his tent and running and hiding behind the tent and <laughs> running away. And I actually watched him do it. So I went over to the guys. I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? They tell me the story. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Listen, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's totally irresponsible. We can help take care of it we have insurance. Give me your phone number. Give me your license plate number. I'm going to go home and put it into my insurance, and we're going to cover this for you. Don't you worry about it. They, they believed me. They believed me. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave me that information, and I could tell as they were giving it to me that they felt kind of funny about it. They were pretty loaded. So they finally got in their vehicle and drove away, and I never heard from them again. And I assume it's because they probably figured out after they left that, it, first of all, wasn't true when they got duped. Second of all, what were they doing driving drunk and then coming in and threatening people in our encampment that there's, and their parents were probably gonna be pretty pissed off when they found out anyway. So I never heard from them again. And that was my first rangering experience in
0: 1996.
2: What, what a welcome to the department. <laughs> making reasonable excuses for your behavior since 1992, a Bogman
0: quote. Very good. So that was 96 in the midst of the mayhem. No t-shirt, you were just doing the thing. You had a radio. It was the back radio, when people knew what was going on. So, 96 was a, was a difficult year for everyone. You got talked into coming back. The Rangers weren't really formed together in 96. 97, was there somebody in charge?
2: 1997, Joseph Pred stood up to the plate. Um, 96 was his first year, I yep. think, at the event in his first year rangering. Yes, I've heard that. And yeah, and then in 1997, he decided he, there was a void, and he stepped in, and he ran it for that year. And then back in 1999, um, Bogman took it back over, or actually took it over formally for the first time.
0: So 97, do you know how that happened? I mean, that's really, I mean, these are my curious
2: stories. Um, well, back then, uh, the only entity that ran the organization was the senior staff. In 1997, it was a really full year because we were an underground scene in 96. In 1997, we became an LLC. We filed taxes for the first time. Right. We made relationships with all the entities around us that year. The ruling entity for how we run the event was formalized for the first time into the senior staff. And we put everybody that seemed responsible <laughs> <laughs> and did the work You know, And so Joseph Pred was on that because he stepped up to the plate. And so in 1997, he, he took over running the Rangers. Um, And that's also the first year that uh, Dwayne Hoover showed up and Dwayne Hoover started making a presence um, in the Ranger organization and went on to have quite an impact um, on the Ranger organization in many, many positive ways. But for some reason that year on his radio, whenever he talked, it would always get staticky and you couldn't hear him for like probably about two days. I kept tapping to him and I never really figured out why no one could hear him on the radio, but it was kind of interesting that he was the only person that that happened to I never explained that mystery. Uh, Mysteries of 97. (laughs) Big Bear and the radio.
1: Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) big bear.
2: (laughs) There is a bit of internal hacking history, you know, with the Rangers. So that was the first time it happened. Let's just leave it at that.
0: Would you like to elaborate at all on that?
2: Um, There was another year where it is well known that a Ranger hacked the Ranger radio channels and was very mischievous in ways that could have been pretty bad. But he was a smart guy, and nothing bad happened. But he was found out, and uh, I'm not sure he rangered again.
0: Uh, He was around. He stayed around. He he made appearances, and sheepishly would see his friends like us who were like, whatever, (laughs) and avoid people who wanted to shake a finger at him. So there was a void. Someone run the ranger thing. Joseph took it up. Joseph did it first, 97 and 98. In 99, Bogman took over?
2: I think Bogman got it in 98. Joseph just had it for one year. Okay. Um, And he did a lot of good to formalize it, but it was a little bit perhaps more structured than was the Burning Man nature. Um, And Bogman had done a lot of that legwork earlier, and Bogman was really good at getting people to do things and naming things and putting a category around things and getting stuff done. So he kind of just walked in and started really organizing the Rangers in 1998.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's one of those things, if you look around a room and you say, who wants to be in charge? The person who raises their hand? Not that one. That one for sure, no. Like, what's the other one that everyone's staring at and they're all going, "No, that person. <laughs> Joseph's me, then Bogman says me. Okay, it worked. Bogman ran it for a year or two, do you know?
2: Bogman ran it till 2002. And in 2002, Bogman made a mistake yeah. that had some consequences. And out of that, Bogman left the organization and I was left holding the bag.
0: Aha, uh-huh. and then that was where you did a lot of things. 2002, big year. 's got them. the Rangers, had the Ply Safety Council, and is that when Dwayne was installed?
2: So actually, let me just go through a little bit of a history here. In 2002, Bogman was running it. The senior staff was in full swing it was fully formed it was a pretty functional well-functioning vehicle for the organization everybody who was doing important things was on it and we all worked in consensus or modified consensus together
0: right
2: and it was a status symbol i would say i didn't feel that i guess i was too busy working to feel like it was a status symbol It was just another meeting to go to but i think some people really felt like it was important for them to have the authority they needed to be on that entity logman is one of those people no one got paid very much at all. I still wasn't getting, you no, know, I was getting, I, that was like the second year I'd gotten paid. So like no one was doing it for money, but everyone had different reasons they were doing it. Yeah. Bogman really liked being on the senior staff. So Bogman went to one of our events. We used to do flambé lounges three or four times a year. They were gatherings for participants and for our volunteers in San Francisco. And we tried to do them in fun places. This year, it happened to be in Chrissy Field, right when Crissy Field is being demilitarized and turned into what it is now, a place for parks and for recreation. So this building had been kind of gutted and, and wasn't ready to be used for anything else. We were shuttling people in and we were using the rangers as our security for our event. This is a moneymaker for us. This is important. This is how we keep going until the event happens next year. Bogman um, had many, many lovely strengths, um, and as we all do, he had a few tragic flaws, and one of his was drinking. So I wasn't there, but I heard he showed up drunk a little bit later in the evening, got into a fight with one of his rangers who was running security for the event, and punched her in the face. Yes. So when he came back, we all talked, this is the, the six founders, we talked about what had to happen, and we realized there had to be a consequence. And I knew very well, holding back money for him wouldn't matter. He had a good job, but he really cared about the senior staff. So I pulled it into my office and I made the mistake of not having anybody else with me. i never made that mistake again.
0: Oh yeah, the lessons we've learned.
2: We're better at that now. Exactly. And I uh, love Bogdan. Like I, I, was, I felt like I was just talking to a friend. I said, sweetheart, I heard this thing happen. That's not cool. There has to be a consequence. And the consequence we've decided is that we're going to suspend you from senior staff until we find out how to make this good. And he said, that's a violation of my contract. If you do that, you're firing me. And I said, no, I'm not firing you. I'm just Mm. suspending you until we can figure this out. And he marched out of my room and said, I fired him. So then there was nobody to run the Rangers. So I picked it up. I remember going to my very first meeting. I figured out who was who. There was no charts or anything. But I figured out who the important people were. And 23 people showed up in the room, in our conference room. And they were beautiful, hardworking, smart, intelligent, really highly engaged people doing super, super, super good work, but with hardly any organizational structure. And so that's when I kind of got set to work, adding some structure to the Rangers so that they could function. I I never donned khaki, except not even 1996 when I I did a little ranger work. (laughs) But I did hold the purse strings. And more importantly, if something terrible happened to a ranger, to a participant, I was the one who who was going to be held responsible. Mm -hmm. So um, I needed to put some organizational structure in place. And from 2002 to about 2005, I spent a lot of time doing that. At the same time, I also got ESD. And they were talking to each other. Joseph and Bogman did not get along that great. There was no merging of medical and fire with rangers. That's not a good scenario. So I had to break down the walls and get people talking and get people working together. And that was when the Playa Safety Council was created. Interesting because they used to be one department together. But then at some point it split out where... That's right. It was all one thing.
0: Yeah, that was the way I wanted to go back to. So there was the rangers and then Joseph 97. And then there was ESD splitting off. Yes. And all the, so that was the one I wanted to go back to. So what do you know about the split up? Because it's not talked about. Everyone just goes, in the past that happened. Is there a bigger story to it, or is it something um, that can be I, told, or is it backstabbing back room, or what?
2: It's it's mutual hate. Joseph Pred hated Bogman. Bogman hated Joseph Pred. Joseph Pred refused to work for him, and Bogman was happy with that. So, <laughs> so that
1: was that was 98 then, yeah? Because Pred was running in 97, Bogman had it in 98, so that was the year it split out.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in 97 was the year that Dwayne showed up, and Dwayne kind of vied pos- for the position to run it as well. Pretty hard, he, he stayed in it. He's a tough bird, right? So he stayed in there with Bogman and worked alongside him, but fought with him as well for a number of years until finally Leal sort of split off from the Rangers for a number of years, and then it got folded back in.
0: Okay, folks, we're gonna take a moment here and describe LEAL. LEAL stands for Law Enforcement Agency Liaison. That group still exists in the Rangers. They signify themselves as zebras. They are Black Rock Rangers who volunteer to spend their time trying to interact with law enforcement in positive ways. Big Bear was a big part of that group. And maybe someday Big Bear, a.k.a. Dwayne Hoover, will agree to be on Radio Check. We'd love to talk with you. Big Bear, hope you're doing well, wherever you are. We're going to go back to the show where we're talking about ESD splitting radio, off radio, from radio, the Rangers. Radio Check. So they split off with Joseph and because of Bogman, and then you were 2002 to 2005?
2: I was 2002 till Charlie, till 2013.
0: So it was under your umbrella, but it's I- It was under t-
2: your umbrella, you're right. Um, I, I made the Playa Safety Council and it got on Wally to take that over. Boy, I don't know what year that was, like 2000 and-
0: Right, that's later.
2: Seven, that's, that's, yeah.
0: So when the Rangers were under your umbrella, there was a director, yes?
2: Okay, when I got the Rangers in 2002, the beautiful thing was that consensus was working really well in the organization. Like right. they, people really were operating with consensus. And off the playa, that's how it functioned, which is beautiful. Every voice is heard and everyone gets to participate. On playa, we had already established that there'd be one person, chain of command, and that leadership was now gone. Bogman was not there. Well, I couldn't do it, right? And then I noticed that these 23 people really weren't always talking to each other and sharing information that they should share. Sometimes there was lack of communication that would cause problems for other people. Sometimes people would withhold information for whatever reasons. It just wasn't functioning smoothly. And we needed a strategic body to help give some vision and to help give some guidance to it. So I created the Brainger Council in 2002. And the first year of 2002, I created different, I can't remember all of them, but I created someone to run it. Because I wasn't going to run it. I helped facilitate it. I taught people how to use the agendas. I gave them the Burning Man tools, made sure they had access to databases and lists and, and you know, ways to get things done. And I had someone who would run it. That was their role. Someone in charge of communications internally to the other rangers and externally to the other departments. And I created someone in charge of logistics, so they would be the sole source of asking me for money so they could get stuff done. Or more importantly, sitting on the senior staff and asking people around the table, talk directly to the DPW, don't come through me, which would have been Bogman, and have Bogman go to the DPW, just talk to them directly. So I started setting up systems to make relationships, to break down the silo of the Rangers operating on their own and start to communicate with the rest of the organization and, and create this governing entity of rangers themselves that were the strategic thinkers to then go to the 23 other people that are running the nine of the departments that were already there. In 2002, there was already r uh, was already there. RNR stands for rapid night response. There was already intercept. There was already CACI. The infrastructure was already there. It had grown organically, and it just needed some fine tunings to make it run more smoothly. And they needed the council to do that because I didn't have time. And it wasn't my role. I wasn't a ranger.
0: I was just laughing hysterically about I had the templates. I gave them that stuff. And I just, they needed some organization. We just started another cadre, another group within the rangers to do the, the weasels. There are rangers who go into the comm shack with the police and ESD. And there's a the ranger in there to talk to khaki so all the traffic doesn't go on nine. Ah. So it's a whole new thing we came up with and people really want to do it, but you got to give them a template. You got to give them a, (laughs) you
1: got to give them the
2: organization.
1: (laughs) Well-used model that has definitely lasted over time. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you've described is you guys called it a council. And at some point they flipped the names where that council became our ops teams. There was like a representative from every one of these smaller cadres or teams that would go to the ops meetings together to talk about the whole operation. Now there's a smaller ranger council that's kind of just like the leadership group.
2: So I actually created both of those things in 2002. Okay. I first created the council as the strategic governing body and the ops team as a logistical, like, get it done, rubber hits the road body. So, you know, the five people that were on the council would um, report down to and be reported up to by the ops team. The ops team would be, be the person who's running uh, rap, rapid night response. The person who's running, cabby The person who is running, um, you know, all the different things that were happening, and they would meet, I think, once a month or once every two weeks. And the council would meet, I think, also. I can't remember the meeting, but they would yeah. meet. You know, one would meet, and then the next week, the other would meet. So there was a constant flow of information going up and down and out. Yeah. I set that up in 2002.
0: I totally believe everything you're saying, point out the one thing, the same thing the Keeper said, is that they were, they were named backwards. Oh,
2: okay.
0: The whole organization, it goes with council as like, you are the, the, you're the small body and the ops teams are the, get the road running. I only know that because I was on the ops team for one year and then that was the sea dog year and then it flipped and became another name.
2: That's a name and they're important and they have to work for you, so. Yeah.
0: No, I think it was to get in line with what the rest of the organization was doing. Councils were the head bodies and the ops teams were all the people getting it done.
2: Yes.
0: And right now it seems like there's no way we had that backwards. Well, yeah, we did.
2: <laughs> I could tell yes. you we did. It was probably me. I probably did it backwards. <laughs> Didn't know it.
0: <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. I loved looking at a lot of the talks you've done about Burning mana. How many times do you say we gave ourselves the ability to get it wrong, you know? We'll get, we get it wrong all the time, and then we fix it. It's wonderful. I liked a lot about the uh, TED talk you did.
1: Yeah, the TEDx talk about leadership style. I love what Splinter was talking about, too, because it enables the duocracy, right? It says we're not going to be paralyzed by this idea. We might screw it up. We're just going to jump right in and go and do and build and make and create the thing that's going to work and do it better the next time around.
2: Yeah, and learn your lessons as fast as you can and make the improvements as fast as you can. Absolutely.
1: Could you um, talk a little bit, in that TEDx talk, you were looking at the leadership model that you had embraced um, and that Burning Man used that really relied on collaboration and consensus and a people first type of model. And I wonder if you could talk about that in the context of the Rangers and how you led that team forward.
2: Sure, so uh, there's two models in the world that we're both really, really, really familiar with. One of them is in our face all the time and we think about it a lot because it's in our face all the time. And the other one we don't think about very much. Um, so the one model that's in our face all the time is one that is um, it's you, 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 you succeed when you dominate. You succeed when you, when you win. When you win uh, as an individual, you dominate and you win. And you use competition as your vehicle to get your job done. That's success. And if you succeed, then you're rewarded with money. And with money, you might be able to leverage status and power. And with those things, you might be able to climb the ladder even higher. So we're all very familiar with that one. There's another leadership model we're just as familiar with. It's the way happy home works, it's the way um, people have thrived as, as civilizations since the beginning of man, I assume. Um, and that is where people work together, where they take care of each other and they nurture each other. And um, what I mean by nurture, nurturing is hard, right? Because you have to bring someone along. They have to believe that that you have something valuable to say and trust and trust you. Um, and then uh, you have to take their opinion in and, and, have, and have their voice be heard. That's what nurturing is. So it takes a lot of work. But when you use that, which is using collaboration instead of competition, which is using um, we instead of I, um, what you get when you win isn't just winning the money or winning the prize you get a sense of well-being you get community you you belong to something that's bigger than yourself and it's really rewarding and that's the thing that happens so much at burning man and that's the thing that um, i think makes the rangers so strong is that sense of community that sense of belonging that sense of i can contribute in the way that i'm best able to contribute or i don't like the way that's being done my voice can be heard and i can have an impact and maybe make some positive change Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I thought it was right. But now I realize, oh, actually, that idea was better than mine. That stuff is still so alive and well in the rangers. And it thrives there. And I think that's what makes such a strong community.
0: Thanks for saying that part, because I have to say that on every podcast we do usually. (laughs) (laughs) It's not done. It's not finished. It looks like a monolith. You got here. Somebody handed you a T-shirt. Someone trained you. Someone mentored you. Someone's your shift lead. At that point, people are like, forget it. It's done. And what we are trying to do is get the exact thing that you just said, it's not done. It's about if you see something different, make it happen. Try, bring it up. The nurturing part is hard to do for people who love that system and love the monolith and love that it's built and they get in there and they are part of the structure. And when someone comes to change it, they like hold on to the structure. And it's hard to get those people who are ingrained in the structure to realize we made this. we can break it and someone else is going to be better at it than us. So we've got to crack it every once in a while.
2: Yeah. I've seen so much of that in the Rangers from 1992 on and, and I've I've seen so much of it in so many different places of Burning Man. And I love the fact that it can be there and then it can go away. And that when you fall back in there, you can get pulled out of that again because our default world really sort of defaults to that more to my mind, more negative way of getting things done and we don't have to live there we can change the world we can change ourselves
0: totally there's some positive words from harley to end an episode by we'll be back again next week with harley K Dubois and keeper we're going to go over some of those same things, go over some other things, talking about Burning Man, talking about the Rangers, and we hope you have a great week. And get ready, because pretty soon we're going to open it up for you guys to tell us your Ranger stories. We'll compile them, and we'll make episodes out of whatever you want to tell us. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Radio Check.